You're listening to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast, brought to you by the Diversity Movement. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, author, speaker, and human rights advocate. On this show, I'm talking to trailblazers, game changers, and glass ceiling breakers who share their inspiring stories and insights on business, inclusion, and personal development. Thank you for downloading this episode. I am truly grateful for you. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Trish Smith, the Global Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer at Edelman. Trish, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to talk with you, Jackie, and I apologize for that lengthy title there, that long no. <laughs> title, but I look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. It just shows how much you're doing, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, let's talk about Edelman overall. Tell us what Edelman is. We've all heard of Edelman, but some of us are unsure of what Edelman really does. And then if you'll talk to us a little about your role in particular, what is the work that you do day to day? Sure. Thank you so much again for the opportunity to, to join you today. So many people have heard of Edelman. Some have heard of different Edelmans, right? This Edelman is the global communications marketing firm. So we are one of the world's largest public relations, marketing firms, comms firms in the world. We have about 63 offices around the globe, working with a host of clients from all sectors, industries, all types, sizes, to help them do just that communicate effectively with their various audiences and stakeholders. And that could range from pharma and tech to governments and nonprofits, it runs the gamut in terms of the types of organizations. And again, we have a global footprint. So that's who Edelman is. We're about 71 years old this year. We are a family-owned business, so we're still privately owned. Um, although we we are so large in size, which surprises a lot of folks. Uh, but Dan Edelman founded our company 71 years ago. He is now deceased, but he was our founder, and his son is our president now. So it is very much a family-owned business and has been our president for for many years. But I actually had the opportunity to work with Dan before he even passed. So uh, I have grown up at the firm, uh, been there for over 20 years. So I started when I was 12 is the story I'm sticking to. (laughs) Right. But different (laughs) jobs. So people always say, how have you stayed there that long? What has that been like? It the company has evolved and has changed as the world has changed, as our business has changed, and the needs of our clients have changed in this global economy, this global marketplace. The needs for businesses, organizations, institutions are vastly different than they were 20 plus years ago. And so, in terms of my tenure, I started at the firm mid-level in my career. Uh, It was my second job after grad school. So I went straight from undergrad to grad school. My second job after grad school, Edelman recruited me and I was doing PR uh, and communications for various clients. Uh, I will admittedly tell you I was doing work for clients that were environmentally focused, transportation driven, which really wasn't a personal interest of mine. Uh, But I got to really get in the door, try my hand at different things. And then as time progressed, I began to work more and more on things that were uh, programs and campaigns that were cited to and targeting and reaching diverse stakeholders. Um, And so I led our multicultural client practice for a decade. 
working with all sorts of, of brands and organizations to make sure that everything that they did truly reached and resonated with diverse audiences and that we applied cultural intelligence to everything that we were doing on behalf of our clients for those audiences. And from that work, I then began to do a lot of work in the DEI space, working with our clients to evolve their diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies, but also their communications efforts, and began to say around our firm, we need to do more. Uh, and oftentimes, as you are making suggestions, always be prepared for us to offer a solution or to be a part of that solution. And so I took the role as our first managing director of DEI for the U.S., and it became a global officer role in 2018. So that's 20 years in whatever two minutes that I just gave yeah. you there. But it has been very different. I've worked on some of the biggest uh, communications campaigns and reputation management campaigns uh, on behalf of a whole host of clients to helping uh, organizations really evolve not only what they say, but what they do as part of their business practices and their offerings, whether it's products or whether it's services or whether it's just how they operate um, to be more effective and more inclusive. That's so fantastic. And Trish, you mentioned growing up at Edelman and that you've been there for uh, 20 years. What's the secret to your sustained tenure? And more importantly, how did you as an underrepresented professional at a global communications firm move up that corporate ladder? What tips do you have for those of us who feel kind of left behind or under that glass ceiling? It's a great question. And often I'll, I'll get it. Uh, again, secret to being there that long, I really think is about the opportunity to try my hand at different things. And so it has not been the same place. I've been able to stretch different muscles and learn different things and try my hand at things that maybe I wouldn't other places. So it is that the ability to do just that, that has allowed me, or I guess created this opportunity for me and a desire to want to stay this long in terms of how I've been able to navigate that as a woman of color. It's such a great question. Uh, I, a few years ago, I had to give a speech and, and I did one of those letters to my younger self as part of that speech to prepare. And, and one of the things that was clear to me that is critical to success in any organization is to recognize your own value and worth. And that's not only in the workplace, that's in life, in every relationship, in every setting, uh, that every room you walk into, you add value. And so for me to recognize that, it took me a while uh, as in through my career journey, my own personal journey, but to recognize that you have something to offer, just your perspective, your experiences, your background adds value. And so remembering that, that point about me being worthy and me adding value to any organization institution has been one of the things that's created, I think, um, the longevity or created that opportunity to, to sustain within the organization and to grow. Um, I think the other piece is not being afraid to fail. Mm. And that's a lesson I'm still learning daily, uh, but that there's so much power in failing and failing forward and learning from those failures. We, in fact, probably learn more from our failures than we do our successes. So in that failure, what are we learning from it to apply to the next that helps us grow and become even better? So those are some things for me that uh, that have sustained, I think, my career. And last, I think, would be relationships. Okay. Yeah. Building relationships, uh, really being intentional about building those connections, fostering 
those relationships that will help you. Oftentimes people work with people they know and they like. Right. Right. Those are the people they go to, the people they give business to, the people they want to pull on projects they want to have at the table. So how are you nurturing those relationships, which can prove helpful, again, not only in work, but in life? Such great advice. Trish, let me ask this, because so many leaders are facing right now the challenge of retaining their top employees. Stretch tasks, working on different things, great. Um, That makes a lot of sense. And keeping people interested and, and finding new ways to engage them and challenge them. What are some other tips that you would have to retain those top employees at your organization? It's such a tough market out there, right? Everyone is looking for top talent, particularly um, diverse top talent, right? There is such a competition to attract talent within organizations. We know from even our own research at Edelman that uh, employees are looking for different things now. They have different expectations of the workplace and what they want their employer to offer. And so I think one of the key The key steps in retention is really understanding your workforce and their needs, right? And and within that, we know that some of the needs are uh, being able, we've often said show up as your authentic self. And and I always think that that's loaded, right? I I like to say your best authentic self because there are some parts of us that maybe um, shouldn't be in the workplace, right? In terms of maybe some habits we may have or things like that. But really creating an environment where people truly do feel that they are welcome. And so as DEI practitioners and those working in the space looking to to help support and grow um, the environment in which they work or their employees work, we focus so long on the D of DEI, we forgot about the E and the I. And we know that those are necessary to maintain diversity and to really create a sense of belonging. So how are we intentionally, actively, and purposefully working to create a space where everyone feels that truly they can come to a place and offer what they offer and be appreciated, respected, and paid well for it? So that's one thing in terms of of increasing retention. I think also we talked about before relationships, right? Building that trust. People will stay at an organization where they may not be paid as much as they would somewhere else, but if they feel that there is trust established, that there is a relationship between the manager, the employee, the the leadership of the firm, the company, and their workers, their employees, then they'll, they'll, they'll be that connection. They'll be more likely to stay maybe than in other instances. Absolutely. And Trish, you know, there are so many studies that show that, right? A lot of leaders still think... Right. Throw a little bit of money at them, right? And and what we're finding is that employees in the workplace today want flexibility. They want stretch tasks. They want to understand what their growth opportunities are and so many more things, that belonging in the right. workplace. Um, money is certainly part of it, right? Fair pay sure. is expected. But that's not the number one driver that helps retain your employees. So I love that that you talked about that. Thank you. Trish, are you finding that most organizations understand why DEI is important to sustainable business? Um, Or are you still having to make the case for DEI with business leaders? And what are leaders still getting wrong in their DEI practice? Such a great question. You know, if you had asked me this question maybe a year or two ago, I would say that the case didn't need to be made as much. 
because I think as we were living through the social unrest, the awakening that many people had, you know, post George Floyd's murder in May 2020, I think many people were seeing, recognizing the value, not only of racial justice work, but DEI work overall. I will say that in these last several months, particularly in 2023, even beginning in some of 2022, you did begin to hear some questions that may have been posed post or pre-2020. And so, and I would even say that we've seen in our research, our most recent report on racial justice that we released earlier this year, it's part of our special report to our annual trust barometer. Uh, We've seen that, in fact, there is a gap in terms of the recognition of value and benefit of. And the scary part, Jackie, is that it's within the senior leadership. That senior leaders are not always, one, they think they're doing better in the area of DEI. And then two, they don't see the full ROI or benefit thereof, which they're probably connected, right? Because you, you think you're doing better, you don't see the full benefit. And because you don't fully value it, again, you're not giving it the most credence. Um, and so I think that there is this, this turn that we're seeing, which honestly scares me, and that we're still having conversations about the benefits of a diverse workforce, an equitable workplace, an inclusive environment that drives belonging in 2023. Um, But the research shows that employees have, it impacts them, it it impacts their loyalty, it impacts their desire to want to work at a firm to recommend the organization or business to another employee, their productivity, their creativity and innovation, all of those things are impacted by an effective ongoing DEI strategy. But yes, I am seeing many more organizations saying, actually, we're going to pull back on a little, maybe we're not seeing as much value. I think the other piece in this puzzle is that the impact of DEI is not over a course of a year or over a course of one business cycle, right? That the impact is longer term. And so you have to be invested for the long term, for the long haul. And so this desire to want to see immediate impact or change, I think, is a fallacy and unfair to the work. Absolutely. And that's such a great point, Trish, because you're right. A lot of leaders want to see immediate return Mm -hmm. on the investment. And studies show that it takes about three years to really see uh, meaningful change within your organization in every um, area that you want to see it. Totally. Mm-hmm. So companies that came out with these lofty lofty commitments, yes. these lengthy lists mm-hmm. of commitments post May 2020, or blew up their strategy if they had one or created one if they didn't, that are now looking at where are we? We're not even three years out. That's exactly right. We're not. I mean, right? So um, we will, we just... We just, what, 2023 was, I guess, May, you know, so we're a little a little over. So you're expecting results of something and from something that actually is still working to be fully implemented and embraced within an organization. So, so I think that's a piece of it. Definitely. And, you know, in summer of 2020, organizations were just then figuring out, okay, I need a DEI strategy. What could that be? So this is really the end of the year before they had any sure. level of, of um, you know, strategy in place to to execute against. So yeah, we are just now coming up on that three year point, 
And for organizations that have begun to pull back already, mm-hmm. you, you know, you're you're missing mm-hmm. out on the investment that you made mm-hmm. in 2020, 2021. I totally agree. Thank you for letting me know I did my math correct. I thought yes. I was doing. I was like, <laughs> let me see. Um, I'm in communications, not not math, anything <laughs> financial or math related. But yes, yes. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So it's unrealistic, unfair, and and really, um, it, it it is it's saddening and frustrating to see that we're still having conversations about the value mm-hmm. and the benefit thereof. Um, but I do think as we see employees responding to it, that that employers have to get the message. If not, they're going to be left without, you know, workers or an effective workforce That's to do exactly what's right. necessary. Absolutely. And, you know, Trish, another thing is even for potential employees that are mm-hmm. looking at interviewing with your company, they're doing so much research, you know, so different from the way we, you know, interviewed for jobs, you know, years and years ago. Mm-hmm. They're doing so much research and looking at your digital assets and talking to your employees to make sure that that's a, um, a place they want to be and invest their time. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I don't want to get the numbers wrong, so I'm not going to, to attempt to give the exact numbers, but I can reference another piece of research we just issued in September, which was a trust at work special report. And that's exactly what we found, right? That that one, they would be one, even consider, they're looking at things like commitment to DEI, their your CSR efforts, your sustainability at, you know, efforts and commitments, things such as that would even be things that they're looking at to even consider if they would apply, mm-hmm. right? That's right. And if they would remain at a, at a place. So they're making different decisions and they being different demographics of the workforce. You have an entirely new generation of workers that are c- coming with different expectations and different desires and needs. And again, we talked before about pay not being this sole driver. There are other things that are informing a decision to apply or to work for organization or to remain with an employer. Absolutely. And you could be losing those key hires even before you know it. Absolutely. That's so true. Trish, you uh, completed the fifth edition of Edelman's Business and Racial Justice Research. Tell us what were some of your findings? So it was fascinating. Again, we've done this for four years now. Uh, Since George Floyd's murder, we did the first weeks after and did another one in August 2020 and have done one every year since. Um, So an annual study that really looks at businesses' response to racial justice. We know from what we just talked about that there was a huge outcry to see businesses more involved, brands more engaged around racial and social justice uh, post-May 2020. And so we wanted to look at what those expectations are. And so this past year, um, it's no surprise that Racial justice continues to be a growing concern for many, and it was across all demographics, Jackie. So it's not only black and brown individuals. It's not only those in certain parts of the country, because this was U.S. solely focused, but it was across gender. It was across age. It was across political affiliation that there was a growing concern um, around racial justice, 69% of respondents said that they were concerned about systemic racism and racial justice, which actually is up from last year's report, up eight points from 2022's report. So there's this continued uh, growing concern, rising sentiment around it. And again, this is even across Democrats and Republicans. But what we also found is that um, while there was increased concern, 
the progress was lacking, right? So it's like, why aren't we, why aren't we getting to solutions? So all institutions in our research were distrusted to address racism. That was NGOs, government, media, and business were distrusted when it comes to responding to systemic racism and really addressing racial injustices in the U.S. And so um, it, it showed that. It also showed that when you get within an organization, while business was mistrust was, was distrusted, my employer was trusted. Right. So that distinction. So writ large macro business community was distrusted. But as an employee, you trusted your employer more to address issues surrounding racial justice and also DEI. And so within that, we begin to dig in within the organization and really ask questions of the respondents about, okay, if your employer is most trusted, what does that look like within the organization? And this is what we found is that there's a huge disconnect between CEOs and the C-suite and the rest of the organization. Probably no surprise to us, but it was stark. The gap is huge in between what CEOs and leaders think and what the rest of the workforce think. So what we found was that one in five associates, which is more entry-level, agreed that they're making progress on racial justice or that their employer is, while 60% of executives thought that they were making progress. 60% thought that they were making progress and they're making advancements, making meaningful progress to address racism and racial inequities. And only 28% of mid-level and 18% of associate level. We see the gap. Wow. And right. Trish, why do you think that is? Are executives not talking to their employees? Well, I think a few things about that, Jackie. And I've been trying to come up with some hypotheses about this one other found finding showed us that nearly half of employees misunderstood key terms, like even affirmative action, right? And didn't understand terminology. In addition to that, another finding found that many employees were afraid across all levels to talk about issues regarding DEI and so forth. So I think that there's a lack of real communication and candid conversation, Right. I also think that, and, and this is, again, my hypothesis from the work we've done within Edelman, and I fail to mention that I also counsel clients in this work as well. So my job is two-way. It's internal and external. And so while I'm driving our strategy, I, I talk and work with clients daily as well. And so from that and from the research, I think there are a few potential things happening. One is I think that in some instances, leaders are not getting all of the information and all of the facts. I think there's a lack of sharing as it goes up the ladder, if you will. Um, and so there's that too. I do think that now it could be it's not going up the ladder also because they're not paying as much attention because they don't see the value. Right. Oh, right. And so they're not as engaged. They're not paying attention to it. Or thirdly, they're not getting the full picture. Because again, the work, as we know, takes time. And so they're getting maybe updates, anecdotes, but they're not getting the full picture of the reality and they're not fully aware of the lived experience and the day-to-day reality of their workforce. And so that's what creates this gap where they're seeing things totally different from those who are, are working throughout the organization. I also think that as we know, the closer you are in proximity, the more real it is. And so while it, DEI may be a commitment up here and there may be great funded programs and ongoing initiatives, 
if the experience with your manager and your team doesn't reflect that, then it's all for naught. Absolutely. Right? And so that's why I think some of the difference in terms of the experience based upon level, um, and I'm sure that that varies in different places and spaces, um, but there is a disconnect. And, and, and the reality is if leaders are, they're the solution and part of the problem, right? right and that's so right. It, it is critically important that they're engaged and involved, um, but that they're also then, we also found in the research that because of that disconnect, CEOs are actually the least trusted to speak to and address issues surrounding DEI, followed by the CHRO and then the head of DEI. Frightening. The most trusted are diverse employees or people like me. Wow. Right? So as we're looking at this work, as we're looking at how you engage and bring others into the work, because it's everyone's job, while someone may have it in their title, the creating equity, inclusion, building belonging is everyone's job, right? So to bring everyone along, then that means how are we bringing in those other voices in the fold? How are we partnering with, how are we making sure we're amplifying the voices of diverse employees? How are we ensuring that they're involved in the building of some of these programming? How are we creating places and spaces where they can share and build community like through resource groups or affinity groups? What are we doing to do that. Otherwise, we're going to continue to have this disconnect and this total um, divide in how we're doing the work, but also this loss in advancing the work. Absolutely. You know, that's so insightful and and so interesting because you're right. Culture is built in the day-to-day interactions, not in the high-level strategy. So absolutely. Such good. And I always say people create the culture, we can change it, but it's Mm -hmm. the recognition that it needs to be changed first and foremost. And the commitment, the daily commitment to to really evolve it. Exactly right. Trish, when we think about DEI, we know that it has to be woven into every part of our business, but it's especially important in our business communications. Can you describe the why DEI is so important to business communications in general, and then also the nuance is in communicating as a DEI leader at a global organization? So, kind of, I'm going to answer the first one first because I actually, yeah, I look at them through different, not different lenses, but they are interesting. One through a comms lens, and then one uh, which is about communicating to diverse audiences writ large. And then one is as a DEI communicator, how do you do that, right? In terms of the DEI work, right? right? Um, so the first one is, look, the world is diverse. We're in a global marketplace. The world is increasingly diverse. It's the most diverse it's been in history. Uh, you have more, you have up to six age uh, groups within the workforce for the first time ever. Uh, you have more women in the workforce than ever. We have an increasingly younger generation coming into the workforce that has different expectations, right? So the reality is you cannot do business, no matter what your business is, in today's global marketplace without diversity, without diverse voices, without diverse perspectives, without diverse inputs in order to be effective. You can be successful, but you can't be as successful as you could be, right? And and have whatever market share, whatever you do, or whatever you buy, whatever services you offer, um, without it, right? So you have to have diversity. So there's, and in that, it's how are you communicating with those diverse stakeholders, consumers, whomever it might be, how are you doing that in a way that reaches and resonates with them? 
Are you communicating in a way that really allows them to, to capture them, to engage them, to invite them to be a part of whatever it is you're offering, providing, selling? We've all seen those instances where we wonder, who was at the table mm-hmm. when this was That's created? Right. Like, mm-hmm. who greenlighted this? Who wrote this? Who picked these images? Who who thought this would be the right spokesperson, right? All of those things. And that's because I believe that there's lack of diversity in the creation of, in the messaging development around it and all of that. And so for me, so when I talk about the importance of diversity in comms, that's one. In terms of DEI, communicating DEI strategies, DEI programming initiatives, uh, it sort of goes back to what I was sharing before about diversity of voice, Right? It cannot only be something that the DEI lead is communicating. It has to be supported top down, bottom up. So how are you adding other voices to the chorus to amplify the message, to really reach the audiences that need to hear it? And it's about also consistency, right? So that you're communicating not only around heritage months or crisis moments, but what are you doing day in and day out, week in and week out, to communicate, to ensure that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a part of everything you do. And not only around the DEI initiative, but even your other business initiatives, how does DEI get woven into that, right? What is what is the, the DEI lens that's applied to everything that you do as a business? And that really takes intentionality. It takes real commitment, and it takes those at the table to help to ensure that that's done in an effective way. So right. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Trish, as you and I know, there's, you know, headwinds facing those of us who are doing this work from anti-LGBTQ plus legislation to affirmative action uh, being overturned, Supreme Court overturning longstanding rights for women, the anti-woke movement, and I could go on and on. How do we navigate these new challenges and how do we stay motivated when we suddenly feel we're swimming upstream? That's a daily practice I'm working to to Mm -hmm. master. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, for me, I I will tell you, I am a woman of faith. So my faith grounds me and drives everything that I do. And I continue to maintain hope because of my faith. So for me, each day is that um, there is another opportunity to drive change. And seeing and, and keeping that hope, maintaining that hope while I am swimming upstream, while there is this barrage of different issues each day and and different challenges and such a divisive world in which you are oftentimes needing to communicate, but but then wondering how will that be received by other stakeholders or other audiences, right? And so navigating that waterfront is tricky. But for me, it's the, the the hopefulness in what the change offers and what that can create and do for others. I'm doing this work, I mean, quite candid, because I've been in agency my entire career. I just mentioned 20 plus years at Edelman. Um, I started at a time when I was one of the several onlys in the room, only person of color, only woman of my age, you know, all of these things. And so for me, it really is about how I'm able to create spaces and places for other people who are underrepresented or who are like me in various rooms. And so that for me becomes my sort of my focus uh, and and where I try to keep my eye focused on on what the benefit is uh, and what the outcome is. But it's hard. 
And as I talk to other practitioners in the space, you know, we, we've seen many people leave the work and the space over the last several several months. Um, it is a challenging space to be in and, and work to to drive. I will also say also because there's no blueprint, the world is so different. So even the work that you did three years ago doesn't work now. The strategies you had three years ago won't work now and may not work in two years. So it's it's about the continued change and the acceptance that there's no blueprint and there's no one approach that will work for every organization at, at every moment. Uh, so I think when you accept that, it gives you a little bit more, uh, I guess, uh, freedom, perhaps, uh, or uh, less of, uh, I'm, I'm a person, I was telling a colleague earlier today that I'm a person who likes to win and there's no win in, it's about how do you make small advancements? Right. Because again, it's that marathon, not the sprint. That's right. Right. Uh, and so the marathon continues in the words of Nipsey Hussle, marathon continues. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you know, the, it's those small advancements, as you said, Trish, that can have big impact sometimes right. Right. on right. the culture of your organization. Um, and so those are so important. I love that. Thank you for that. I think so many of us needed that. So thank you. <laughs> sure, sure. What are some of the challenges that are facing us as leaders in this work with these headwinds? Different from when many of us started in 2020, 2021, and how can our corporate leaders continue to provide us support as we're looking to maintain or regain momentum? Some of the challenges faced, of course, have been reduced budgets, things such as that, um, reduced resources in order to do the work, um, doing a lot with a little in terms of team size and 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 dollars. Um, are those are some of the things I think that we're facing as well as the competing demands, right? We just mentioned and and as part of the, the previous question, um, the need to navigate different expectations, both internally and externally and from diverse, varied stakeholders. Uh, so I think those are some of the things we're encountering. Um, I think it's the continued push that oftentimes, of course, is a weight to bear, is 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 not fun, can become taxing and overwhelming all of the things, right, in that. But I think, as I was mentioning before, keeping your eye focused on what the ultimate objective is. And um, this is for all the practitioners who might watch this. And if not you, who? Uh, and, and if not now, then when? And the need to sort of continue to fight the good fight um, within your organizations, within the, the, the practice of DEI as a whole. I think it was Frederick Douglass who said, power can seize nothing without a fight. And so um, the work is hard, but it's well worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trish, as we begin to wrap up, and thank you so much for an insightful conversation, what's the message that you want to leave our listeners with today? The message I would like to leave listeners with today would be we all have the power to drive change that we all can do, no matter who you are, no matter what organization you're within, no matter your level, your background, we all have the opportunity to and the privilege to be a part of change, whether that's someone who is a manager and you're looking at how you can drive a more inclusive team. 
small things like who you're bringing to the table, who you're asking to lead meetings, who you're asking questions to within the context of a meeting. There are small things, as you mentioned, that we can do that have huge impact. So no matter who you are, you have that opportunity. If you're in a more senior position, how are you being uh, really focused in, in diversi- diversifying your talent pipeline in terms of your hiring and your recruitment efforts and so on? So there's something we can do everywhere. If you're an ally of X or Y group, whatever group that might be, being an ally, being in support of, leaning in to learn more so that you can be more supportive so that you can be have greater empathy and understanding of different experiences. So I would say uh, as, a, as a parting message to anyone, no matter who you are, what you are, you have a responsibility and an incredible opportunity to help change wherever your place of space or occupation or, or business or company your employer is, um, you can be a part of that change. And so I would encourage everyone to do that in the midst of all the things that are happening. We need each other more than we've probably ever needed each other before. And so this work has the uh, gives us the opportunity to help in that within our walls of our organization and in the world. Trish, that's amazing. Thank you. How can listeners learn more about your work? Sure, sure. Would love to stay in connection and community with you. LinkedIn, it's Trish L. Smith. And that's Trish, T-R-I-S-C-H. My mother was difficult in adding a C, but T-R-I-S-C-H, as well as on IG, Trish L. Smith as well there. And check out edelman.com. We have all of the research that I mentioned there. We have a research tab that lists all the research on racial justice, as well as the recent Trust at Work report. So check that out in its totality to, to get some more of the insights that I think will be helpful as you're, if you have to, making the case with different stakeholders or validating even some of what you already know, the data will help in that. So those are a couple of places to, to check me out. Trish, thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation. I appreciate thank your you. time today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a moment to share it with a friend, leave a rating and review, and subscribe so you'll be reminded when new episodes are released. Become a part of our community on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok. This show is proudly part of the Living Corporate Network and was edited and produced by Airfluence. I'm Jackie Ferguson. Take care of yourself and each other.